Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. You guys can talk back, it's okay. Good morning, Harvest. Hey, it's been a while since I opened up a message with a movie clip, and that is one of my all-time favorite movies. And the reason I led with that clip is because it's a good, um, it's a good, good illustration for a reality check. It's a good illustration for pointing out that sometimes we believe something so sincerely that we swear on our lives it is reality, and then at some point something happens to awaken us from that, and we realize, as painful and difficult as that awakening might be, that what we thought was real is in fact not real at all. It changes everything. But if you know the story, and I don't want to... This is a spoiler for a movie that came out in 1995, so you might want to get with the times and watch it. Uh, But, you know, even though Buzz has that disheartening realization that he's just a toy, later on he goes on to find that once he embraces the truth, it really does set him free to just live out his life as an action figure, but that doesn't mean he has to be one of millions of drones. He can be his own action figure. Now, the reason I'm leading with that is because this morning... We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that has a very powerful story from the Old Testament thousands of years ago that is about a reality check. It's a showdown that happens between God and the most prominent false god of ancient Canaan. And and the title of the message in this 100 Things series that we're going through, very descriptive, unclever titles, it's Elijah and the Prophets of Baal. It comes out of 1 Kings 18, verses 17 through 40. And it's a great, great story that opens up our eyes to something important. You know, our beliefs, our beliefs can be the source of a great deal of comfort, can't they? I mean, some of the things you believe are what helps you sleep at night. But if our beliefs are never tested, then just like Buzz, it might be revealed one day that the things you totally believe with all your heart turn out at the end to be nothing more than wishful thinking. And so we want to expose and explore what it really means to believe something and where true and fruitful beliefs come from. One of the first things I want to point out from this story is that steps of faith lead us to life's defining moments. What we believe actually matters and what we believe and how we act upon those beliefs can can steer our lives into strange, life-changing moments that define us. You know, last Sunday, we learned that faith, if it's real, if it's to truly exist, must be acted upon. Faith that just lives as a belief in your head is no faith at all. Ultimately, faith is only real when it's translated to something that we act upon. Isn't that true? If you look at this picture, it's an iconic symbol of our times. It it actually happened back in 1989 on June 5th in Tiananmen Square. We've sent teams over there and stood on this this very spot. And it's an amazing thing. On June 5th, there was a student uprising, a demonstration, and the military came and squashed it. And they did it brutally and violently. And 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 it was being kept very quiet. But this one lone guy, it looked like he was coming home from the grocery store or something. He's just got two bags. But he stood in front of this column of Type 59 tanks and he would not let them pass. It was literally an over-my-dead-body challenge to the Chinese government. You cannot do things this way. 
Now, I don't know where you fall on the political spectrum and all that, but, but as more and more news and footage of, of this event came out, this guy started coming to be known as Tank Man. Uh, I don't, and nobody to this day knows who this guy is. If they found out, let me know. But I've looked far and wide. Nobody knows his actual identity. But this guy symbolized those times in Beijing. And I don't know where he placed his ultimate trust. I don't know if he was a Christian, but I do know this. He believed something so completely that he staked everything on that belief. He believed in freedom. He believed in justice enough that he was willing to let tanks run over him. And I don't know if you understand this, based on what had just happened, it was a very real possibility that those tanks would have just kept going. You know, in America, we're, we have the rule of law and all that, and we're like, there's no way with cameras turned on that tanks would roll over. That's not the case over there, and the government had just proven it. Just proven it. And so this guy literally took his life in his hands. Now this morning, as we find Elijah and pick up the story from last week, Elijah's a fugitive on the run. Okay? He's a fugitive on the run. King Ahab was really mad at the prophet Elijah because Elijah had told the truth right to his face. And because of what Elijah had said on God's behalf, a terrible drought and famine came upon the land and people were suffering. And when people are suffering, who do they blame? Come on, everybody. Who do we blame? We blame whoever is in power. They're responsible for everything. So Ahab wasn't enjoying his job as king because there was drought and famine everywhere from the beginning of his watch. And so he's looking for Elijah because he figures, if I can find this guy and squeeze him and make him recant, maybe something, you know. And here's, here's Ahab's reasoning. Ahab followed Baal and not the God of Israel. And so he figured that because Elijah had been so offensive to Baal, Baal had shut out the skies and prevented the rains from coming. So he figured if he kills Elijah, Baal will be happy again, and maybe Baal will send the rain. That was the logic. So he had dispatched search parties all over the neighboring countries. If you read the first half of 1 Kings 18, you get the chronicling of the whole story. He had really started an international manhunt, and imagine what it is to be in Elijah's shoes. An unstable, immoral, unprincipled king with lots of power is looking for you and he wants your head on a platter. Now we have this wrong idea that religious leaders are people who are like nothing phases them. But if you read the account of Elijah's story, he is quaking in his boots. He may be a prophet, but no prophet enjoys the idea of getting his head chopped off. It was scary to be the marked man in Ahab's crosshairs. So then you can imagine the dread when in 18 verse 1, after many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. He's basically saying, look, you've got to turn yourself in. And as he says that, think about what's going through Elijah's mind because that's not an easy thing to hear or to follow through on. If he does it, there is a very high probability that before he gets a chance to make the big speech, before he gets a chance to explain himself, Ahab's just going to go, quick, cut off his head before he runs away again. We've got to take care of this drought problem right now. It's a defining moment for him because either he believes God or he doesn't. And this is one of those rare moments in an act of faith. He brought his life into a, a fork in the road. And when we take those steps of faith, those unsuppressible, strong promptings in our heart that says you must do this even though it makes no sense, even though it will risk everything that matters to you, if you don't do it, 
you will stand outside of the purposes of God. If you sense that sometimes in your gut, and if you step out in faith in those moments, God will use that step of faith very often to carry your life into one of those defining, shaping moments. You guys know that we named our, uh, our third child Elijah, right? That's him a couple years ago. Such a cute little monkey. And we try to give meaningful names to our kids. And the reason we chose the name Elijah and we chose the name Noah for our oldest son is because these are two figures in the Bible who in times, and you don't need to look at my kid anymore, who at times of great turmoil where people were turning away from God stood up on God's behalf in defense of God's honor, risked a lot, and God showed up. And that's our hope and prayer for our children. For my son Elijah, this is one of those stories that defined for me why he should have that name. And it's my prayer for all of us that if our moment comes where we can stand or we can hide, that we will be people who will take steps of radical faith. Because if you do it, you will be amazed sometimes where God takes you from there. And that's not just theory for me. I was supposed to grow up to be either a doctor or a scientist. I was supposed to have lots of money. I was supposed to have a big house and really nice cars. And I don't have all those things now. But I have no regrets about the journey that I've taken with God. And I wouldn't be on this road today if there weren't key times where despite myself, God gave me the faith to make a very crazy step in another direction. And he defined my whole life in what followed after those acts of faith. And I want to just encourage you with that. So there's Elijah, takes a big step of faith, and he enters a defining moment, and this is one of them. It would be legendary. It was a showdown. And so I, this is the best picture. It's a Civil War picture viewed from the side of the Confederacy. So I'm not sure how cool that is, but um, the idea here, if you could just bear with me, is one against many. Stacks, the odds are stacked against him. It's Elijah, the one sole prophet of the living God of Israel, against 450 prophets of Baal, who was without question the supreme deity in that land at the time. And here's the showdown. And here are the terms of the showdown. Look, there's a lot of gods in this region. And those gods say very different things about the world, about humanity, about themselves. And they can't all be real, can they? Because the gods didn't have a conference where they said, you take the eastern region, I'll take the western region. All of these gods are saying, we own the whole thing. We are the only show in town. It's my way or the highway. And I defy you, if you're a pluralist, to answer this question. How can all of them be right if all of them don't agree? If all of them are making exclusive claims about their supremacy, then they can't all be telling the truth. And so that's what this showdown really is about. See, each one of us this morning sitting here has placed our ultimate confidence in something. You've placed and you've transferred your well-being in the future to something that helps you sleep at night. I don't know what it is. I mean, the usual suspects in American culture, sometimes there's just this unbridled optimism. In America, more than any other place I've traveled to, we have this this uh, amazing optimism that says things will get better. We're watching a movie and we just, you know, the protagonist is in danger. He's hanging from a rope. How many of you actually worry that the hero 
of the movie is going to die. I'm like, you stupid, right? I mean, he's dangling from where everyone's like, oh. and you're just like, come on, you know he lives. When's the last time that in an American movie the hero dies halfway in? There have been a couple rare ones, To Live and Die in LA and a couple other examples. But by and large, the hero always makes it because that's the American spirit. It always, always gets better. Do you know in other parts of the world, they're like, that's not true. We don't have any expectation that it gets better because for us, it always seems to get worse. Maybe you believe in a person. You have transferred all of your hopes to a person who will carry your future. This person equals security. This person equals happiness. And you're annoyed because they keep letting you down and yet you don't critically evaluate why you've given so much hope into this one person. Maybe it's the power of the dollar or of the American dream that if you just work hard, everyone who stays at it makes it. Or maybe, quite honestly, it really is an unshakable faith in the reality and the power of God. Whatever it is, you have transferred your ultimate hope and trust into something or someone right now. The question, though, is not how sincerely you believe it, but whether the thing you have trusted deserves that much hope. Whether it's got the legs to support the weight of all your hopes and burdens and trials. So Elijah faces Ahab, and this guy, man, what guts he's got. He goes, hey, Ahab, before you say anything, listen. <laughs> you know, and Ahab, Ahab greets him with, why are you causing so much trouble? And Elijah goes, I'm not the one causing trouble. You're the one causing trouble, you jerk. It's all your fault. And he says, let's do something right now. Let's just throw down. You and me, man. Bring all of your stupid prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth and meet me on Mount Carmel. I will come alone. And, and what we'll do is have a showdown between these two gods. The God I represent and the God you represent. And we'll see who wins. Do you realize what a powerful situation has just been created? There's no more open debate. There's no more going back and forth, weighing the pros and cons. There is now simply a power encounter after which one or the other will remain standing. You know my favorite part of a boxing match? Now, I'm, I'm not that into boxing, but my brother is a huge boxing fan, and he's gotten me kind of into it. The best part of a boxing match is before they step into the ring. All the pre-game drama, the trash-talking, the, the staged confrontations at the weigh-ins and all, it's so much fun, and you're thinking, this is a bad situation. Both these guys have so much ego and pride, and one of them is going to bite the dust after the fight. They can't both win. Somebody is going to have to eat every single word they're saying. And at the end of the fight, one guy, the referee, is going to grab his hand and he's going to go, and, and he's going to be the winner and the other guy's going to go, oh, I'm such a dork. I can't believe all that stuff I said on national television about how great I am and now the whole country knows that I lost. That's the situation. Now, I'm going to ask you, how many of us have the courage to put our ultimate hope on the line like that? To say, look, God makes all these claims, but this is what I, but this is what I really believe. Let's just go head to head and see which one of these two things has the greater power. No more your opinion and my opinion. Let's just agree to disagree. Let's just see it right now in the real world once and for all. What an amazing situation was set up. Now, Elijah didn't just want to make a point to the king Ahab. 
He also wanted to reach out to the people of Israel who following their weak leaders had drifted into apostasy, had begun to believe in this foreign God and had ditched the God of Israel. And so Elijah came near to all the people and he said, how long, listen to this language, Elijah's good at sounding kind of polite but really poking him with a stick. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow. But if Baal, then follow him. One or the other. Poop or get off the pot. And the people did not answer him a word. Now whether you are in the tundras and the savannas of Africa or you're in the urban centers, nobody considers a limp a sign of strength and health. A limp is always an indication something's wrong, something has become weaker, and even the person with the limp or the creature with the limp doesn't boast that that's a sign of strength, do they? When he uses that word, what he's saying is you are just gimping about, you know it. Where you're trying to live your life, comfortably straddling these two worlds is no life at all. Make up your mind. Because you're trying to believe that two things are true that can't possibly be true at the same time. Is God God or is Baal God? Pick. Because this limping is an unsustainable position to take and it is weak and you know it. And you know when you've got somebody because you say all that and instead of coming back with some sharp remark, they just go, yeah, you know. I mean, what are you going to say about that? We are limping around. We're trying to do the splits across two things that will never be joined. You can't have it both ways. And so that's the situation. And he calls all the people. This isn't going to be a private confrontation where if you lose, the only thing you lose is a little pride. This is everything. The faith of an entire nation hangs in the balance on the outcome of this contest. Then listen to what Elijah says. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left the prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, Sounds good to us. It is well spoken. My transit sounds good to us. I mean, they're saying that makes a lot of sense. I don't think they said it with a lot of conviction. I think they have no other place to go. I mean, how do you argue with logic like that? And so the stage is set for an amazing confrontation, and the odds are really stacked because it's 450 to 1. Plus, look at the advantages he gives up home court advantage. You guys pick the bull. I don't care. Give me the bull that's wetter and less fatty, the one that's less flammable. If there's such a thing as a less flammable cow, you can give me that one. I don't care. Stack the odds as much as you want. My God is going to win this contest. And it's not just pride talking. It is just reality. Reality. If you're standing on the edge of a building and your friend says, I can fly, and I say, I put a lot of money on the fact that you can't. He takes the leap. What's going to happen? Well, if you watch Heroes, you might half expect the guy to fly. But the real world, that really just doesn't happen. Now listen to what happens. The prophets of Baal gather, and they go to town. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. This is a half-day prayer meeting. It sounds like a Korean church. And they called upon the name of Baal from morning 
until noon saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. There was no voice. No one answered. An entire half day spent beating their chests, crying out to their deity, and at the end of that half day, not so much as a peep. I remember watching this documentary about North Korea. And do you know every year they do this great celebration where a million participants train throughout the year for this choreographed parade and movements. They have this human computer screen almost where they have different colored pixels and each person is a pixel and they flip and make all these pictures. Perfectly coordinated dance moves and all of it is to celebrate and pay tribute to the dictator, Kim Jong-il. Before that, his father. They spend an entire year of their lives, a million souls, training for this one day. And then when the day comes, they have this huge stadium, and they go through the whole thing, and they're saying, I wonder if the president will even show up. And in the year that they filmed the documentary, this jerk doesn't even show his face. Think about that. Your entire year defined by a desire to honor him, and he can't be bothered to turn off the DVD player and come out to the box and just go, hey, everyone, thanks a lot. Do you realize that that's what's going on right now? And the prophets of Baal are frustrated because they've been at it a half day and not even a little spark. If they just had a little something, they're like, oh, see, see? Something's going to happen. We just have to pray longer. But just a deafening silence. There are people who believe that sincerity of belief is enough. They believe that if you believe something with all your heart, that the sincerity of what you believe is going to make that thing come true. I don't even need to say anything about it, but you know what the, the, the idea here is, right? Some of you guys are still trying to turn that frog into your prince. But is it true that sincerity alone makes something true? Because you can believe something wrong with all your heart and it will not make that thing real, will it? It's just the way the world works. And what Elijah is witnessing is absolute sincerity followed by absolute silence. They had no lack of passion, but there was a deafening silence in response to their faith. Then Elijah, after a half day of watching this, can't take it anymore, and he has to say something. And so we move on to the next chapter of the story. Call it like you see it. It says here that at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, listen to what he says, I love this, cry aloud, what are these things? try shouting a little louder, for maybe, for Baal is a god, either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. See, he's been watching this all day, and he's getting a little impatient. He's like, how much longer are these guys going to keep it up? A half day, nothing, and they're still going strong. So he says, guys, come over here for a second. Can I just make a friendly suggestion in the spirit of healthy competition? Maybe if you raise your voices to get his attention, and he, he posits four theories as to why Baal isn't answering. Now, before you think that he's just a smart aleck and a mean-spirited guy, all four activities 
are activities that are clearly ascribed by the ancient Canaanites to their god Baal and to their other deities. Just like the ancient Greeks, the gods of the ancient Near East were just like us, only bigger. Okay? They were just like big people. They threw hissy fits and temper tantrums, and they had jealousy and adultery, and they squatted over toilets, and they went on trips. And so in other words, he's not just insulting them, he's making a very clever point. These prophets of Baal don't hear the goading of Elijah and go, you, you're such a jerk. They go, oh, good point. And they begin to actually shout louder. Because it's possible in their theology that their God is simply what? Here's the first theory is, he's just musing. You know what that means? Baal might just be deep in thought. You know, and he's just sitting there. And, you know, have you ever been like so deep in thought, like my sons when they play their Nintendo DS? They're like, and I go, hey, it's time for dinner. No response. Hey, it's time for dinner. No response. I finally come and I touch their shoulder. They're, wah! I've been shouting, but when I touch them, it comes out of their, their reverie. And they go, oh, sorry, Dad. I didn't even what? Hear you. Anybody who's got kids older than 10 knows they're going to talk about it. They get mental when they're in the zone, right? And we all know what that feels like, too, to be so lost in thought that the rest of the world disappears. Now, that's understandable if you're human, but if you're a god, that's weak sauce, man. Oh, I'm sorry, I was just thinking so I couldn't hear 450 of my most ardent followers shouting at the top of their lungs for this contest that would determine the faith of a nation. Sorry, I just couldn't hear you. Contrast that directly to the omniscience of our God, the fact that our God knows everything. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. The next one, I, don't, I hesitate to say anything about it, but Elijah goes, hey, maybe he's on the toilet. Because just like us, how many of you like to be bothered when you're on the, on the throne? I, I don't know about you, but in my house it seems like it never fails. The phone rings the minute I sit down on the porcelain throne. This illustrates how indifferent Baal is from us. When he's sitting on the potty, he doesn't want to go anywhere. You just let that phone ring. That's what answering machines are invented for, right? And so he's, he's kind of saying, hey, maybe he's just tied up or preoccupied. A lot of the more polite translations use the word busy rather than relieving himself. Maybe he's just busy. He's going to the bathroom. He's taking a number two, and he doesn't want to answer these guys. Here's another theory. Hey, maybe he's on a journey. He's taking a long trip, and because he's not here in his office... He can't hear you because he's over there. Now, that's good logic if you're human. If I'm here, then I can't be there. And if I'm there, I can't hear you here. Now, unless you have Google Voice, when you miss one phone call, you've got to take a voicemail. And that's really what he's saying. Elijah's saying, maybe he's on a long trip. You guys should leave him a voicemail. He'll get to it at his earliest convenience. That is a direct contrast theologically to the omnipresence of our God, the fact that our God is everywhere all the time. Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth. David once wrote in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from you? Wherever I go, darn it, there you are. You are everywhere, all the time. And he says, maybe I have one last theory, guys. This just might be, you have to shout louder 
because maybe he's gotten used to the sound of your voices, maybe he's sleeping and cannot be awakened. Now, I don't know about you guys, but there's nothing more vulnerable than a sleeping person. When you're sleeping, you're a little bit dead, aren't you? That's why I have insomnia. That idea snuck into my brain and has rotted me from the inside. I think of sleep as a mini-death. I'm totally helpless. You can kill me while I sleep, and I wouldn't even know until I woke up in heaven. Right? That's how helpless, inactive. When you are asleep, you are not doing much else, are you? And you are totally vulnerable. That is a direct contrast to the omnipotence, the fact that our God can do all things. There is never a moment when he is weakened or incapacitated or his hands are tied. I know, Job says, that you can do anything and no one can stop you. See, in all these theories, what Elijah is doing is setting the stage, making some very true observations about the difference between their God and his God. And he's not doing it in a na-na-na-na-na kind of teasing tone, but he's just exposing for them, guys, here's what I've watched all day. You've been shouting with passion at the top of your lungs, and your God has not shown up. This is the greatest spiritual contest of our generation, and your God doesn't even want to show his face. He may have been the spiritual ancestor of Kim Jong-il in North Korea, for all I know, because this guy is a no-show at the biggest show of the times. He's just trying to point that out. And he's saying to them, why do you think that is? There's a couple theories. Either your God is the biggest jerk in the universe, or he was never there except as a figment of your own imagination. See, I don't think the point of Elijah's example is that we should become mean-spirited and sarcastic. I don't want anyone at Harvest to speak to others like that. A person's beliefs are deeply personal. They are precious, they are guarded, and they have deep, deep foundations. The point is not to poke fun or to belittle, but simply to say, if I care about you and I see you building your entire worldview on straws that cannot bear the weight of that burden... And when I see a situation in which your hope is clearly crumbling in front of your eyes, when that thing or that person in whom you have staked everything is failing you in front of your face, it is not loving to just let you go into delusional denial and pretend that's not true. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be um, triumphant and I'm not going to be sarcastic about it. I'm not going to sit there and go, see, I told you all the time. But what I am going to say is this. You know, you've really put every hope in that thing. Can we just admit together that it's not really working out very well for you right now? Can I challenge you to reconsider the foundation on which you have built everything? Do you get the spirit, the tone of what I'm trying to describe? Is that it's not about you know, giving raspberries and insulting people, but when you see your friends clearly going down a spiral of failure and everything they hope for is falling apart, you cannot help them put a veil over their eyes and pretend it's not there. If you're going to be loving, you've got to learn to politely and graciously call it like you see it. And I've done this with lots of friends. I've said, look, I don't mean to be mean, but man, what you have hoped in has stabbed you in the back. It's not there. And could it be that what you trusted 
was never strong enough. It never asked for that much faith to be placed in it. But there is a God who is very powerful and he has been waiting on the edge of his seat inviting you to transfer your faith to him because he is not going to be a no-show in your life. Now it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah says, okay, I've watched you do your thing. Now it's my turn to do a little bit. And so he, he just to prove that there's no room for doubt, he doesn't want this to be one of those uh, hanging Chad kind of contests, okay? You guys are old enough, at least remember that, that reference, right? No hanging Chad, no whatever. He wants this to be a clear knockout, boom. Not even a TKO, but teeth on the floor kind of knockout. Bam! You know, the kind where you don't even punch this way, you punch downward. You know, that kind of satisfying... Anyway, you, you get the idea. <laughs> Let me just relax a little. So he wants that kind of victory. And so here's what he does. He goes, all right, guys, my altar is built. Here's what you do. And he digs a trench around the entire perimeter of the altar. And he says, take four large jars of water and just douse the whole thing. I know you gave me the wetter cow, but let me just prove beyond the shadow of doubt. And three times they pour those jugs of water so that the runoff not only soaks the wood and the meat, but fills the trench around the altar. Now, I don't know, I'm not a physics teacher, but I'm pretty sure that you can't light water on fire very easily. Any of you guys try it? What happens every time you put a match in the water? You get a lot of steam and smoke, and that's all you ever get. And then Elijah says this prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He's just reminding the hearers, the audience, that they have a historical linkage to this God and not to this new God which has failed them. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. It's not opinion, it is fact. You are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you are Lord, you, O Lord, are God, and that, listen to this, and that you have turned their hearts back. Do you see what an amazing thing that Elijah reveals in his prayer? He doesn't just want to knock Baal's teeth out, embarrass Ahab and all his prophets. This is not about going, see, I told you. You don't know who you're messing with. It's not that kind of spirit. He knows he's going to win, but when he wins, he wants to do more than win the fight. He wants to win the hearts of the people back. That's why I especially appreciate those in government who are talking not just about how to gain military victory in the Middle East, but how to do it in a way that raises up the hearts of people. I think that's absolutely important because that's the heart of our God. He never likes to just be declared the victor, but he wants to win people's hearts. Even the very ones that betrayed him, he wants them back to himself. And that's why he's putting on this spectacular demonstration of power. You will know beyond all doubt this day that I, your God, am real. And this new God you've put your faith in is a no-show. He's not there. That's the situation that he set up. You know, at times in your life, God's going to bring you to this difficult place where the things you put your hope in are going to start slipping away from you. And I don't know what that thing is. It's a very private thing, but you know already sitting here what really holds the biggest place in your heart right now. 
It may be God, but it may very well likely not be God. And whatever that thing or that person or that place is, you will be brought to a place in your life where that thing will start to slip away from you. A contest that will force the hand and say, look, you've put so much belief in this. Let's now put some weight on it and see if the legs stand or buckle. God doesn't do that to dismay you or to discourage you, but to rescue you. Because it is unloving to watch someone build their house out of cards when a storm is coming. God loves you too much to let you build your house on a weak foundation. And you might have been carried this far by your beliefs, but if your beliefs do not include the reality of this one true living God, then your life will come to a head because God loves you and He wants you to have no room for doubt. I am real and all else is not. It doesn't matter what compelling reasons or arguments you have for remaining where you are. Life won't stand still forever and you will come to that day because God is merciful and because He rescues those who, for whom life is drifting them farther and farther away. So let me just wrap up by saying this. The fire of the Lord comes down. And when Elijah does it, he doesn't need his convulsive dances. He doesn't need to mutilate his flesh like the prophets of Baal did, stabbing themselves. Have you ever seen those worshippers in Phuket, Thailand, they, they take swords and pierce their cheeks. The pictures are all over the internet. I was going to show one, but I thought better of it. They're gruesome. That's what they're doing. They're mutilating their flesh, thinking, well, if our shouts don't get his attention, maybe our suffering and pain and blood will. Have you ever thought that way in frustration? No one's listening. Maybe if I just cut myself, the universe will pay attention. And the worst part of it is you cut yourself, and the universe goes, oh, so what? Clean that when you're done. Clean that mess up. The universe doesn't care about your pain and suffering. You can do every radical demonstration that you're serious, but if you do not communicate with the one who listens, who is real, then everything you say and do is being done before the deaf and the blind. And there will be nothing but silence to answer you. Without a lot of drama, without a lot of hocus-pocus, Elijah just looks up to his God and says, I know you want to answer. I know you alone can. Bring the fireworks. And just like that, fire rains down. I would so love to watch the footage of that when I get to heaven. I think there's going to be a cineplex in heaven where you can watch all the cool stuff in history. I want to watch that. And this fire is so intense that it not only burns the meat and the wood, but it dries up every last molecule of water all around the trench. It is bone dry when it's all over. No one has any room to dispute that what they just saw is the real God. Please stand up. And he stands up. And here's what the people say in humbled, broken response. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, and it's almost like a mumble, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We no longer have to wait for fire to rain down from the sky to prove that God is real. 
He came to the world in the form of a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And in the person of Jesus, God became more real and present and accessible to us than he ever had been before. And the invitation to each of us is, don't stumble like a blind person through life, hoping that you don't run into danger. Because there is a God who is really here. And he wants nothing more than one day for you to realize this. There's a cost to it. It may shatter your worldview. It may threaten something you hold dear. But that doesn't keep you from facing the truth that if there really is one God and he is trying to break through to your life, you must open your door to him at some point. And it's my earnest hope that everybody in this church and everybody we care about will one day see that God the same way those people on Mount Carmel saw him, prove himself, stand up, be visible, and that they will all say together, the Lord, he is God. I got a lot of stuff to work out now. I'm confused. I'm a little disappointed about certain things. But I have to make my peace with this truth that is undeniable. The Lord, He is God. I have seen Him today in a way I've never seen anything else show up. Now I have to reframe my world around what I know is right. And I hope that each one of you, who some of you are so close to that place in your life's journey, that one day you'll also be able to say, the Lord He is God. And you will follow and accept the invitation of Jesus Christ. And you'll have a relationship with Him. And every day from that point on, when you pray, you pray to a God who really exists. I want to ask you to bow your heads or to wake up, whichever may be the case. And let's just go before this God. And if you kind of tuned out or zoned out at all, here's the one thing that I want you to take home with you today. It isn't just about how sincerely you believe a thing, but about whether the thing you believe is real. That's where faith comes from. And one day, you will need the object of your faith to show up. One day, believing won't be enough. It's got to show up and rescue you. And on that day, all false gods will be exposed for their impotence. And God who lives will show up. I hope that each of us will be able to cry out to that God on that day. I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads now. I think you've heard enough of my voice. Listen now for the voice of God and respond to Him in your own way and ask Him to help you cross that threshold of decision and place your deepest trust in Him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.